Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hey, Mind Valley fans! Thank you for joining the Mind Valley podcast. This is a really special episode. I wanted to do something new, something slightly interesting for you guys. So, as you know, when I was writing my book, The Code of the Extraordinary Mind, I ended up speaking to many incredible men and women across the planet, doing great work in the world, and who are also really obsessed with their own personal growth. In other words, everything from their fitness regimens to the way they think, to their meditation, to their sleep, to their eating, mattered to them. And one of the people whom I interviewed, who just completely impressed me, blew my mind, not just because of how she thinks about these things, but the impact she's made in this world, is Ariana Huffington. Ariana Huffington is a living legend. She built up the Huffington Post, which went from a simple website to a massive media giant. That's a major force in American politics, as well as other areas such as health and wellness. HuffPost has become so dominant in health and wellness. Ariana was telling me that they get more eyeballs for their wellness section than their politics section. And naturally, Ariana herself loves this field. So Ariana's story goes something like this: She came home from work one day, collapsed, fainted, hit her head against the table, and she realized that while she had built an incredible business empire. She didn't have it all together. This got her to go into a mode of introspection to understand what was off in her life and what could she fix. And this led to her book, Thrive, which basically dismantles this dumb idea that to be successful in life you have to work hard. Rather, Thrive is about balance. And the book talks about this concept called the four pillars of wellness. Now, what you're going to hear on this podcast is the original interview I did with Ariana Huffington. When I was interviewing her for that chapter in my book, so this is a fascinating podcast. You're going to learn a ton from it. It's rapid fire, but it may just change your life. Let's get started with Ariana Huffington. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Vishen Lakiani, and welcome to a really, really, really special event on the Mind Valley Academy. With me is the Ariana Huffington, and if you haven't heard of Ariana Huffington, I don't know what you've been doing because she is one of the most remarkable women in the world. She's been called one of the most influential people on the planet, and she is the founder of the Huffington Post, which. Is probably one of the biggest online newspapers ever. Like ever, it influences politics. It influences how people live. It has made an amazing mark on the world. And so, Ariana, how are you today? I'm very good, and I'm so happy to be here with you. You know, I just gotta say, on behalf of everyone listening, we love the fact that you, someone of your status, wrote a book on thriving through. Practices that the people who are listening, who are part of the Mind Valley Academy, are so used to doing as their day-to-day lives, from mindfulness to better sleep to taking care of their health and bodies. And it's amazing to have you as a spokesperson for this movement to get this out to the tens of millions more who need to be adopting practices like this. 
Thank you. I really feel that this moment is a very exciting moment to be alive because there is this global shift happening. You've been working in this field for many years, so I'm sure you recognize the difference when a lot of the practices that you've been advocating and teaching, like meditation, are now truly becoming mainstream. And, you know, 2013 was the year when CEO after CEO came out as, not as being gay, but as being meditators, because it was safe. You know, it was no longer seen as something flaky and new agey and vaguely Californian, but something that was really kind of essential for a life that was not just successful, but thriving. Absolutely. And your passion for this idea of thriving started because of an event that happened to you on April 6, 2007. Can you tell us about that? Yes, April 6, 2007, exactly almost seven years ago, I was two years into building the Huffington Post. And you know, when you build a startup, you are, at least we think, we have the illusion that we have to work around the clock trying to make everything happen. I also have two daughters, and that was the time when my oldest daughter was going with me to check out colleges to see where she wanted to apply for college. The bottom line is that I came back home from the college tour and collapsed from burnout, exhaustion, and sleep deprivation, hit my head on my way down, broke my cheekbone, got four stitches on my right eye. And as I was going from doctor to doctor to see if there was anything medically wrong with me, I was asking all these questions that we often stop asking when we leave college. What is a good life? What is success? And I came up with um, the conclusion that the way we define success, the two metrics of just money and power, is just a very inadequate way to define life. And it's like trying to sit on a two-legged stool. Sooner or later, we'll topple over. And that's when I came up with this idea of the third metric of success, which consists of four pillars, well-being, wisdom, wonder, and giving. So a third metric consisting of four pillars. Mm -hmm. Each of these pillars became a section of the book Thrive. Right. And that is the book that just hit number one in the New York Times bestsellers list. Which is an indication of the times we're living in, that people are ready to stop living in the shallows, to stop shrinking their lives and themselves to their to-do list. Which I was going to say reminds me of something I heard you say, which is fascinating. Now, in a moment, I want to ask you about those four pillars so we can go a little bit deeper and understand them. But I recall in a speech you gave, you said that even though you started Huffington Post as a political news site, recently these sections for health and wellness in terms of visitors has overtaken the politics section. Is that true? Yes, it's kind of amazing because the Huffington Post remains the number one politics site in the United States and it keeps growing and we are now over 90 million UVs. But the sections around the third metric issues, you know, wellness, healthy living, have now become so popular uh, that they've overtaken politics. And Again, it's because so many people really want to re-examine how they are spending their lives. And the tendency we have to really put our life on hold until we achieve a goal, and then we achieve the goal, and we think then our life will begin, but then we go for the next goal. And you see that pattern everywhere, and then we die. And I have the onion headline 
in my book that said death rate holds steady at 100%. So when we remember that, we tend to reprioritize what we value. So let's talk about those four pillars, well-being, wisdom, wonder, giving. I'd love for you to take us through that. So well-being is obviously the foundation. And we are beginning to have the science to validate ancient wisdom that if we are really going to function from a foundation of health and well-being, we need to sleep. We now have amazing evidence that sleep is truly a wonder drug, which goes very much against Western culture, that somehow sleep is for losers. And if you sleep, you lose and we'll sleep when we're dead. And, you know, all these things that especially men, unenlightened men, kept repeating to themselves. And also, we now have incontrovertible evidence of the power of meditation in our lives. And again, in another culture, in another community, you can refer to it as prayer, contemplation, quiet time. The bottom line is having some time to reconnect with our essence. In modern times, we've become so obsessed with our projects and our smartphones that we forget that there is an essence, that there is a centered place in us. Every religion, every major philosophy has talked about that. Whether it's Christianity, the kingdom of God is within, or whether it's a scientist like Archimedes saying, give me a center to stand and I can move the world. It's the recognition of that incredible strength, wisdom, and um, sense of well-being that's inside us that we often do not give any time to connect with. So that's, in a nutshell, obviously there's a lot more, you know, the importance of well-being in our lives. And that's why at the end of each section, as you know, I have three little steps of how we can begin on this journey. I know a lot of the people watching now are already advanced on this journey, but I feel that wherever we are, whatever our entry point is, whether it is pain or loss or simply a poem that touches our soul or a scientific finding that convinces our skeptical minds, it doesn't matter. Whatever the entry point is, take it. That's the message of Thrive and begin to integrate these little steps into your life. And it kind of turned out to be 12 steps. I didn't intend it to be that way because there are four pillars, four sections, three steps. But actually, that's kind of perfect because we are addicted to a completely destructive way of living. So out of curiosity, what are some of the daily practices that you do for your well-being? I know you started sleeping more. Yes. Well, after my collapse seven years ago, I started integrating more sleep in my life. I went gradually from four to five hours to now seven to eight hours. And that's kind of a priority for me because that's what I need to be fully present in my life and to bring joy and not just effectiveness into my daily life. That's very important for me. You know, I don't want just to be effective and productive. I want to be joyful because I love that feeling. I love being here with you after eight hours of sleep and after meditating, which I do every morning. I do at least 20 to 30 minutes. And uh, when over the weekend, I try to do an hour, an hour and a half. I just love it. You know, it's like a magnet now that draws me in. And I try to do some kind of movement, even if it's like 15 minutes of yoga postures or jumping on my stationary bike 
and doing 20 minutes. So even if I don't do a full workout, I try to integrate some movement. And a key here for me is I used to wake up and the first thing I would do is go to my smartphone. Now I don't do that. And just taking this, sometimes it can be literally a minute to just look ahead at my day, fill myself with gratitude for the blessings in my life, set my intention for the day. It just immediately takes this urgency, this false urgency that we bring into our lives that is such unnecessary stress. I love that. So it's meditation, movement, gratitude, and setting an intention for the day. And that's how one of the most powerful women in the world starts her day. And, you know, if you think of it, it doesn't take a lot of time. But then I can bring that quality into my day. And then things happen in the course of my day, your day, I'm sure everybody's day, that are challenging, that require us to deal with problems. So when that happens, I am in a place from which I can address them without being overreactive prioritizing what I need to handle right away and without stressing about bad things happening because life is full of them. And that's beautiful. And that is such great advice. And what I love about it is it's easily implementable for anyone who does this. And coming from you, it's going to be taken with a lot of seriousness. Now, let's talk about the second pillar, which is wisdom. So when you look around our world, you see a lot of very, very smart leaders in politics, in media, in business, making terrible decisions. It's not because they don't have high IQs. It's because they are not wise. They are not connected with their own wisdom. They may not even realize that they have inner wisdom. And so I feel that a real priority for leaders now is to connect to that inner wisdom. But for everybody too, wherever we are, I mean, I've been talking a lot in colleges, because I'd love, as you do, to reach the millennials so that they can make choices now that will mean that they don't have to lead their lives under the collective delusion that I led my life under, that burnout is the way to success. And whether I speak to students or CEOs, it's the same thing. It's like connecting to that inner wisdom requires learning to disconnect from our technology and our devices and all our distractions. And we have role models for that, that I love to talk about. I mean, I like to talk, for example, about Padma Warrior, the chief technology officer of Cisco. She spoke at our Thrive conference last year, and she talked about she gets eight hours sleep, she meditates, she writes haikus, she paints, and every Saturday, she takes a digital detox and she runs tens of thousands of engineers. So I tell everybody, I tell myself, you know, if the CTO of Cisco can take a digital detox day, so can we. And if we want another older role model, take God. You know, he worked hard for six days, he's in heaven and earth, and on the seventh day, <laughs> he took off. I mean, that's the Shabbat day. That's the day of renewal and recharging. Beautiful. Now, let's talk about the third pillar, which is wonder, because that's an unusual one. I've never heard anyone bring that in. Wonder allows us to connect with the mystery of life. And we cannot be in a state of wonder at the big mysteries and at the little ordinary miracles of life, or even just the ordinary 
beauty that we encounter every day if we are perpetually rushing. You know, there's the term time famine, perpetually being busy, perpetually being overwhelmed. That is really the death of wonder. So I was talking to Reid Hoffman when I was at LinkedIn to speak to the employees there, and he called himself a mystical atheist. And I love that because wherever you are along the spectrum of belief, it's incomprehensible to me not to recognize that life is an incredible mystery. And when we connect with that through just daily being present and allowing ourselves to experience the wonder of life, our life is so enhanced. It's just amazing. you know. And I say that as somebody who used to live my life perpetually buried in my thoughts or my smartphone. I remember when I was in New York one day and I saw a beautiful building and I noticed it for the first time and I asked a friend, when did that go up? And they said to me, 1890. So it was a building that had been, <laughs> you know, for a century. And I would go by, I don't know how many times a week, and I had never noticed it before. And that happens to us all the time. You know, there's beauty around us that we ignore because we always think that what matters is the next goal or the next meeting or the next project and not the present moment. Beautiful. Beautiful. What you're talking about in terms of wonder, that reminds me of mindfulness, you know, being fully mindful of where you are right now, mindful of what you're eating. Would you say it's a similar concept? Yes, absolutely. It also has an element of wonder, which is a little different than mindfulness in the sense that, let's take an example, coincidences. People love coincidences. They love recounting coincidences because what that does, it makes us feel that we are part of something mysterious and magical. We may not understand it, and we may not try to comprehend the blueprint, but there is some blueprint. We are not here in an indifferent universe, a kind of leading lives of no meaning. We may not fully comprehend the meaning, but there is meaning. And that's why we love recounting coincidences. I have a whole section in the book on coincidences. Some of them are very trivial coincidences. They don't have any major cosmic significance. But I mean, I can't tell you how many atheist friends I have who say to me, you won't believe what happened, or you won't believe the synchronicity, or it's like what scientists now call timescape. You know, the recognition that time is not actually sequential. It's not the past, the present, the future. It all exists at the same time. Of course, mystics have talked about that, but it's great even in our prosaic daily lives to allow ourselves to get a glimpse of that. Beautiful. Now, let's finally go on to the fourth pillar, which is giving. So our culture totally celebrates go-getters. It's all about go-getters. And I think if you look at modern science, and the science about happiness, we recognize that a shortcut to happiness is actually giving. And therefore, it would be absolutely wonderful if we can start celebrating go-givers as much as we celebrate go-getters. And uh, when you look at the science, it's just stunning how we are wired for giving. And our genes reward us when we give. In fact, all the inflammatory markers that are the precursors of disease go down when we're giving and they go up when we're simply 
engaged in self-gratification. Now, of course, life is going to be a mixture of both. But when it is purely narcissistic and purely about what's in it for me, we're just missing out the abundance of the universe. And we are always living from a place of luck. You know, I was very fortunate vision to have a mother who was a natural thriver. You know, we lived in a one-room apartment in Athens with no money. My mother always made me feel that we were bigger than our circumstances, that we were like full of infinite possibilities. I can't even tell you how she made us feel. And so she always was in a constant state of giving. My mother once was wearing a little necklace and a stranger, a woman admired it. And my mother said, here, have it. And the woman sort of looked really surprised and said, what can I give you in return? And my mother replied, it's not a trade, darling. It's an offering. And that was like the way she approached life. What mattered to her was our education. And so she borrowed. She worked as a housekeeper. She did anything for her two daughters to be educated. She had two dresses. She didn't care about that. But she cared about her education. But her idea of education was more like yours. You know, it wasn't just about cramming information in. It was also about connecting with our own wisdom, connecting with our own sense of possibilities. And she actually taught us to meditate when I was 13 years old. And though I did not integrate into my daily life the way I have now, at least I was aware of it. Well, you had an amazing mom, and I can see where you got some of your characteristics from. So, Ariana, speaking of you, I want to ask you two questions. The first is a question I ask Elon Musk, and I'd like to ask it to you, and it's, what makes you Ariana? I mean, if we could distill you and try to extract your essence, what is it that makes you you? If you could say one thing. I would say trust. I have an incredible trust in life. One of my favorite quotes is a Rumi's quote, live life as though everything is rigged in your favor. So I really profoundly believe that whatever has happened in my life, the biggest heartbreaks, the biggest disappointments were exactly what was needed to help me get to the next stage of my own personal evolution and growth. And I now believe that so profoundly. I always had a sense of that, but now I'm like completely clear about that. I can literally see the hidden blessing in every bad thing that happened. Beautiful. Now, the second question I'm going to ask you is a question I asked Richard Branson. And that is, if you had one piece of advice to anyone in the world who aspires to kind of have the positive impact on the planet as you have had, what would that bit of advice be? It would be stop worrying. <laughs> and in order to really stop worrying, Take time to get to know yourself. Because for me, that was the biggest lesson of Greek philosophers. You know, Socrates said, know thyself. If we don't know ourselves, if we don't know our essence and where our true power comes from, we really are going to believe that our true power comes from accumulating victories and trophies and money and the recognition. And these are all fine. I'm not putting any of that down. But it's not ultimately what our life is about. And when we think it is, that's when we really waste our greatest possibilities. And that's when, even in terms of our own achievements, we become completely preoccupied with every little thing that happens and lose our resilience. I like that. Thank you. Now, 
Ariana, there's so much beautiful wisdom that you have in your book and in your various talks online. Two recommendations for everyone listening, right? Number one, go to YouTube and search for Ariana's talk at Wisdom 2.0. Put in Wisdom 2.0, Ariana. It is an amazing speech and you'll love it. It's a beautiful talk. I just listened to it. Now, the second thing is buy the book Thrive. It's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. Buy the book Thrive because that book needs to be in the bestsellers list as long as possible because it's a reminder to humanity about the third metric, about the fact that we need to take a step back, relax, truly go within so we can truly thrive. Now, my final thing, Ariana, that I want you to share with our audience is your 12 steps. Because I heard you deliver this in a speech, and I thought it was mind-blowing. In fact, I thought, Ariana, we have a mutual friend, Peter Diamant, and both you and I are very involved in Prize. And I bet you've been to Peter's office, right? You know how he has this poster on the wall, Peter's Laws? Yes, I love that. That's a beautiful poster. So I watched you talk about your 12 steps, and I fell so in love with it. I'm commissioning an artist to create an Ariana poster with the 12 steps. Wow, thank you so much, I love that. A beautiful poster that we're gonna give away to everyone who's listening so they can print it out and put it on the wall. So that's gonna be my gift to you. But tell us about the 12 steps, let's go into that. Okay, wonderful. So as we said earlier, there are three steps at the end of each section of the book. So at the end of the well-being section, the first step is unless you are one of the very wise people who already get all the sleep they need. Start by getting 30 minutes more sleep than you are getting now. The easiest way is to go to bed earlier, but you could also take a short nap during the day or a combination of both. And this is really an opportunity to immediately improve your health, creativity, productivity, and sense of well-being. The second step is move your body, walk, run, stretch, do yoga, dance, just move anytime. The third step at the end of the well-being section is for those who do not meditate, introduce five minutes of meditation into your day. Eventually you can build it up to 20 minutes, 30 minutes or more, but even just a few minutes open the door to creating a new habit and all the many proven benefits it brings. And I have 55 pages of scientific end notes in the book. Benefits. So then, at the end of the wisdom section, if we're doing the 12 steps, this is step number four. Listening to your inner wisdom. Let go of something today that you no longer need. Something that is draining your energy without benefiting you or anyone you love. It could be resentments negative self-talk, or a project you know you're not really going to complete. I realized that vision. I realized that you can actually complete a project by dropping it. And if you drop projects you're really not going to put your energy into, you are left with what you're really going to put your energy into. Step number five, start a gratitude list that you share with two or more friends who send theirs to you. Step number six, have a specific time at night when you regularly turn off your devices and gently escort them out of your bedroom. Disconnecting from the digital world will help you reconnect to your wisdom, intuition, and creativity. And we already talked about that. When you wake up in the morning, don't start your day by looking at your smartphone. Take one minute. 
Trust me, you do have one minute to breathe deeply, be grateful, set your intention for the day. So, at the end of the wonder section, step seven, focus on the rising and falling of your breath for 10 seconds whenever you feel tense, rushed, or distracted. This allows you to become fully present in your life. And for me, you know about the thread through the labyrinth that Ariadne gave to Theseus so that he could get out after he killed the Minotaur? Well, the thread for me is my breath. Returning to it during the day, hundreds of times, when I get stressed, when I get worried, when judgments come up, has been an incredible gift. And it's available to all of us. There's nobody alive who is not breathing. So step number eight, pick an image that ignites the joy in you. It can be of your child. It can be of your five-month-old daughter, Eve. It can be a pet, the ocean, a painting you love, something that inspires a sense of wonder. And anytime you feel contracted, go in, look at that image. It can be your screensaver to help you expand. Next step. Forgive yourself for any judgments you are holding against yourself and then forgive your judgments of others. If Nelson Mandela can do it, so can we. Then look at your life and the day ahead with newness and wonder because judgments are so draining and self-judgments are particularly draining. So finally, the last three steps at the end of the giving section. Make small gestures of kindness and giving a habit and pay attention to how this affects your mind, your emotions, and your body. Tiny little things. You know, it's wonderful if you give up your job and go to Rwanda to start an orphanage, but you can start giving just by going, say, to step 11, which is during your day, make a personal connection with people you might otherwise take for granted the checkout clerk, the barista in the coffee shop, the cleaning crew in your office. See how this helps you feel more alive and reconnected to the moment. And the final 12th step, use a skill or a talent you have, cooking, accounting, decorating, to help someone who could benefit from it. It will jumpstart your transition from a go-getter to a go-giver and reconnect you to the world and to the natural abundance in your own life. Beautiful. Thank you. So we're going to create that into a beautiful, beautiful image, a beautiful poster, and send to everyone so they can stick it in their wall as a permanent reminder of how to thrive. So once again, the book is Thank called you. Thrive by the Ariana Huffington. And go ahead, get it, buy copies for your friends, buy copies to leave in park benches, because then you're fulfilling the giving thing as well. Wonderful book. Go ahead and read it. And thank you so much for joining us, Ariana. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. And if anybody wants to write to me and ask me questions, I'll give you an email address, Ariana, with one R and two N's, at HuffingtonPost.com. You know, that was something that I really admired about you. I saw you do it on speeches. And the first time we met, you gave me your email address. And I was just, uh, you know, I was just, we'd met for only five seconds. I just think that says so much about you. Thank you. Well, I love connecting with people and continuing this important conversation. Well, this audience is going to send you tons of love letters. <laughs> so thank you, Ariana. So I hope you enjoyed that. For more information on this podcast, to get your hands on resources mentioned in this episode, plus transcripts, additional learnings, 
go to podcast.mindvalley.com forward slash Ariana, A-R-I-A-N-N-A. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Mind Valley Podcast. Until next time, this is Vishen Lakhiana.